Hello and welcome to Hit Chat Chit Chat. Thank you guys for joining. Today's special guest is Jason Hirsch. Jason Hirsch is a local facility owner and pitching instructor in the Denver metro area. Jason was the second round pick by the Houston Astros out of a Division Three California Lutheran University. The former NMLB pitcher was with the Astros, Rockies, and Yankees and is now the owner of Fast Baseball in the Denver area. He is also a coach at Mullen High School as well. Fast Baseball also does have a great social media presence, so all their socials will be linked below. Jason is someone that I was lucky enough to get into contact with a couple years ago. I was doing lessons out of his facility. Luckily, I'm still able to be working with him in some capacity. I do a infield class over at his facility on Sundays. He's got great space, really working on the development side, doesn't have any teams that are operated out of fast. So his only focus and his instructors is for the development side, helping him build the Colorado area. Without further ado, Let's get into it. Well, I appreciate you coming in, man. Um, thank you absolutely so much. Yep. Uh, it's been a while. Been working with each other or known of each other mm-hmm. for the last couple of years, um, and we're able to get a little sit-in interview, first in-person interview ever. I'm in the barn. So I appreciate. This place is legit. I'm gonna have to take a photo and like tweet it out so that everybody knows what this looks like. Hey. Because the uh, the setup here is there's like it's like one of I bet you I haven't been to Meow Wolf yet, but if you've ever been to a Meow Wolf, I've seen pictures of it. There's probably like so many like small details and things that you can't see or that you don't like unless you like scan. Like that's what the, I walk in here and I'm like, oh look, there's the oh wait oh look there. It's like I just keep going. You know, obviously I see things like pimping bombs and bringing rain and <laughs> live on air and Twitch streams and computer monitors. And yeah, you know, then your dog almost kills me as I walk in. And <laughs> now he's my, now, now he's my best friend. So right. Just right. Strider. Can't see him on the stream. Right no, now. but no, he's guarding right my there. feet right now. Just making sure that nobody comes in. Um, but yeah, there's just, it's a cool place. So you've got a nice atmosphere. It's a very Joe Rogan-ish. Hey. Except that we're in a garage. Soon, Sorry, a barn. Soon we will be. Uh, I'll try and. You're gonna have to like take pictures and replicate this wherever you go. <laughs> I'll see if I can do a little bit better, and I'll see if I can get to the point where my next studio. We'll see if everyone gets super upset. Do you remember when he first came out and had like the red lighted podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. And everyone lost their mind. Next setup, we'll see if I'm popular enough to get enough of an uproar. <laughs> um, you need a Jamie though. I, so the uh, I do another podcast called Bottom of the Order, um, and I've got two, well now three of my old college buddies. They care all about the stats, all about right, right. the minor league, top 100 pro. I could care less about that. Sure. And so when uh, we'd be like at college parties and stuff like that, and they're literally in the corner like. Yeah, they're, they're stat nerds stuff. going out, coming through baseball reference and baseball savant. And, exactly. Yeah. And so for Brooks the, baseball. For the longest time, I was like, you guys need a podcast. Like, just get to a spot where you two are just talking shit to each other. Yeah. And finally, I started. Yeah, just take your phone, put it in the middle, hit record, and, and go. go. And they never wanted to do it. Never sure. wanted to do it. And so finally, I was like, hey, I'm wanting to start doing something like this. Let's look to do it. So I actually used to introduce myself as in every podcast as your Jamie. Your Jamie. Because I would do nothing but you know, yeah. produce, Google stuff, right, right. And, and just let them go. Yeah. <laughs> they just chime in whenever they're, they're like, can't remember something. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. And so for a while, I mean, 
if we if I can get to that level, man, I'm not gonna be too yeah. upset. <laughs> It'd be awesome if you could have like 12 million subscribers and you know pulling hundreds of millions of dollars talking baseball, right? Easy peasy, right? Yeah. Not too bad. A little Spotify deal for the people. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, for now, you can find us on all streaming platforms. No exclusivity. No yet. exclusives yet. Someone give me a bag. So, really quick, the I'm gonna leave my water up here on the shelf. How convenient it's, is that? Huh? A little convenient. Yeah, the shelf here. It's a little dirty, but I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, no, it oh, feels. It, I mean, I see. We feel like I'm in a in a barn. No, I feel like I'm in a like a dugout. There's hey, dirt everywhere. Okay. So Can't complain maybe that. we'll call this the dugout of the barn. Right over welcome, here, welcome we got to, a little seats. Listen, I can't keep coming up with all these like incredibly detailed and um, inspirational terms for this place. So at some point, I'm going to have to invoice you for all this. Hey, you know what? That, that's a good problem I'll have. <laughs> I know, right? And I'll need to take you up on some. Yeah. I absolutely love them. I'm going to do some product placement here. There we go. There we go. Throw it right there. And it, can you read that out when you get a chance? What do those stickers say? Uh, well, what, the, the ones that I'm pointing to, yeah, yeah that's it, fast performance. That's my uh, my business or my area of reference. I thought your phone just farted there dude, for a second. My phone is just absolutely <laughs> and then fast baseball, which is uh, our program um, that we run. So fast performance is the kind of a culmination of a bunch of different things. Um, it started out as fast baseball, and then. Um, I brought in strength and conditioning side to it. We had a physical therapy side to it. And so it couldn't just be fast baseball anymore um, because we work with athletes from all genres, right? Lacrosse, hockey, football, um, soccer, you name it, right? And so when I got together with my business partners, um, when we were trying to figure out what the hell we're doing, um, I was like, I'm not like married to the name fast. I'm okay if you guys want to like completely rebrand everything. And the, the sentiment was, you know, fast kind of has a following. Like I had an Instagram page with like 2000 followers. I had, you know, um, Twitter with, you know, like thousand followers or whatever it is. And they're like, we don't have any of that stuff. So let's just keep the fast brand. And then we'll just call it, you know, we were like, well, I'm like fast performance. They're like, everybody calls themselves performance. I'm like, well, what do you want to call it? You know, trying to think of fast sports, fast something. Right. And at the end of the day, fast performance was what we went with. So here we are. But yeah, so I run fast baseball, which is pitching and hitting. Um, and then fast performance, we have our performance group, which does strength conditioning. Um, you know, uh, we do testing and um, like, uh, what do you call it? Metabolic testing um, for like cyclists and downhill skiers and things like that. And then um, we also had fast recovery which um, is currently on, on pause because our athletic trainer moved to Ohio. So we don't have that, that area occupied yet, but we do have a massage therapist. You know, we have a, a sports psychologist. We have a nutritionist. You know, so we kind of like our building is a one-stop shop for athletes. But um, that was kind of a really cool segue for you to talk about that. Now we're, now we're talking baseball. Bada bing, bada boom, baby. That's how you do it. How long ago did you look to start fast baseball? Well, it started, let's see, 2013, I retired. Um, I was down in Amarillo, Texas, wondering what the hell I was doing with my life. Um, I had a wife and two young boys at home. And, you know, my path back to organized baseball was long and arduous and potentially never going to happen. So I had a long conversation with my wife and my agent. And I said, convince me to come home. 
basically. Or I think it was the other way around. It was convince me to stay. And at the end of the day, I had already made up my mind. I just wanted to hear it from somebody else. And so I came home. And then I started what was then cleverly known as the Jason Hirsch Pitching Academy, trying to rebound off my pseudo-celebrity playing for the Rockies and you know, being on the 07 World Series team and you know, all the other people I knew in town, all the media figures and whatnot. And so I started teaching over at a place called Legends in central Denver. And um, I had a eight foot wide by 60 foot, like almost to the nose um, length tunnel. And that's where I started teaching baseball the way that I was taught, which was very hands-on, very mechanical, um, you know, a lot of boom, boom, boom type stuff. Um, we did a lot of like towel drill things and things on chairs and things that I've come to learn over the last eight years are kind of counterproductive to what we, you know, what we know now. Um, I also, I had this like epiphany when I was, I was probably earlier this year, later last year, when we kind of decided that we didn't want to do private pitching lessons for anybody under the age of 13, mainly because we want our kids to just enjoy the sport, develop a passion for the game. You know, from a pitching standpoint, it's completely different for, in my mind. And again, if you know, you're a hitting guy, I'm not. I know nothing about it other than bunting. Um, which you should never do. And, <laughs> but yeah, you're welcome. Um, but like, I think hitting is a lot easier. And a lot, it's a lot easier for kids to pick up. I, I think the mechanics of it are much more simple. Um, there's less moving parts. Um, and I think you can get results pretty quickly. Versus pitching is, I think, is a very complex movement. You, you know, the way we teach it with all the drills, it can be boring and tedious, you know, throwing a ball into a wall or into a net, you know, balancing and doing sets and reps for a 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 year old, you know, and some kids are going to be exceptions to the rules, but for, in general, I'm going to lack attention spans. I'm going to, um, I'm going to struggle with actually improving movement quality or mechanics because kids are growing constantly. And so I would rather those kids just be more athletic. Uh, and that's why we run camps versus private sessions. Like I have no problem doing stuff in a camp setting where, you know, I got an hour with your kid. We're going to do a bunch of athletic drills. We're going to teach them an arm care program. And then we're going to go, we, we gamify a lot of our drills for our young athletes. So meaning that I'll take a, a drill that might be boring, um, like, you know, a hop drill or something like that. And I'll make a game out of it and get these kids to compete against each other. And then they have fun. Like we do something called the castle game, which is um, I pit two teams against each other and the score starts at five. It's a tug of war. Basically a score starts at five and I put a target down at the end of the tunnel. um, And then we have one of those nine hole pitch pockets. And I say, all right, if you hit the target, you get two points, three points. No, what is it? Hold me. Let me roll this back here. We put a target with a nine hole and then we put a T in front of that target with a ball on it, right? It's like a yoga ball or you know, foam ball, whatever. All right. If you hit the ball, you get three points. If you hit the T, not including the base, you get two points. And if you hit the pitching target behind it, you get one point. And if you make it in the red square, great pitch, but no points, right? So the teams compete against one another, uh, one each, uh, one another, one each other, one another, and they go back and forth and they have fun with it. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they're like, you know, three to this guy, three to that guy, two to this guy, two to that guy. And there's, you know, it gets heated and I could play the game for a half an hour and we'd still be at five. Right. So, 
you know, like the we have attackers and defenders. The attackers go first. If they hit a two, right, now the score is three, right, because attackers are trying to get to zero and defenders are trying to get to ten, right? So when they move back and forth, I've had kids that are at one or at nine, and it gets completely flipped in the same game, and kids are losing their mind. And, like, that's what youth baseball should be about. Then as you get older, now you start doing – more of the movement quality stuff. Now we start getting into plyo care work. Now we start doing things like velocity development and pitch design. And you know, after puberty is hit, now I've got better attention spans. I've got a body that's effectively going to basically resemble itself like that for the rest of your life. You know, you're, you're still going to keep growing, but now we get to impart permanent movement um, characteristics versus you know, you're an eight-year-old and I just grew six inches and now I don't know my ass from a hole in the ground. And I can't walk or chew bubble gum, but, you know, the mechanical cue that I used at eight no longer works because um, my, my telemetry is completely thrown off. My limbs are longer, my hips are bigger, my body's heavier, whatever it might be. Um, so that's our general philosophy. And so they said we've grown a lot from towel drills and chair work through um, your research and, and just being an open-minded coach, which... Um, I think a lot of coaches get kind of stuck in the past is, you know, that, that open-mindedness has led me to go, well, the towel drills were wrong. And I kind of built my business on something that I don't believe in anymore, which is kind of a weird dynamic. But I think that's part of growing as a coach is admitting when, you know, you used to do something, but you know what, we come to know it's not right anymore, but now I've got something better for you. And so I think that's when we, when we talk about doing stuff fast, you know, we're trying to be on the cutting edge of everything, much like, you know, RBI is, you know, on the cutting edge, not only technology and all this crap, but obviously the way you teach is very quote unquote new school versus somebody who might be old school. Um, and, you know, we can get into that dynamic too, if you want, but I, I, again, I'm an outsider looking in on the hitting world. I think you guys all talk about the same thing. You just, you guys talk about different parts of it. hundred percent. And the idea that you kind of, like you said, built your business and kind of cornerstone on some things. And, you know, after taking some actual in-depth looks, it seems as if you went from kind of wanting to do, like you said, what you were taught. And then after taking a step backwards going, that's not the best way for these guys. Yeah, I think it's only natural to, to teach the way you were taught, right? Because it's all you know. I mean, as an athlete... You know, obviously I played at a very high level, but, you know, I take things from different coaches and, and, you know, when you're working with a little kid, <laughs> it's kind of scary, right? Cause you're really not sure. Yeah. I, there's that like seed of doubt. Like when I first started working with kids, I'm like, are these kids actually going to get better? Like, am, do, am I really going to know what I'm talking about? Or am I some kind of freak in nature that some, some guy gave me a bunch of bullshit and it just, it happened to work on me. Right. Um, and I think that's, and the other part is just working with kids in general. You're like, well, it's almost like that, that Ricky body, like, what do I do with my hands? I'm like, you know, do I give this kid, and obviously we've learned this now, but, you know, do I give this kid a bunch of empty coaching cues or do I like get in there and try and manipulate them or do I have them go through drills that I used to do? And I think it's only natural for, for a baseball coach to teach the way you were taught, right? And I think it takes a lot to grow as a coach to get outside that comfort zone and go into an arena like a lot like we, we did with plyo care balls and you know wrap soto devices and things like that where 
you know, it's way out of my comfort zone, way out of my wheelhouse. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to feel, what it's going to look like. Is it even going to work? Am I going to break somebody? You know, there's that kind of that gray area, that, that unknown that you've got to kind of wade through. I heard an amazing quote today, and it was that there are few bridge builders, but everyone will walk on it after it's built. Sure. And so someone's got to pioneer it. So for you guys to kind of be wanting to take that step, and I think that also kind of goes into the pioneer world and wanting to take a step of, you guys don't do privates for under 13U. Yeah. Like that is for a lot of places. That's money. I know. If you were to go up to them and bring that up, whoever is the the money person or overseeing it, they'll slap you across the face. I've gotten emails from people. My six-year-old needs private pitching lessons. I'm like, your six-year-old just learned how to wipe his ass. He doesn't need a private pitching lesson. He needs to go have fun. The only thing he cares about is who brought the post-game snack, not whether or not he struck out the side or he got a hit or whatever it might be. I think parents heap these unrealistic expectations on their kids that they want them to be a big leaguer at six, seven, eight years old. I'm like, no, just go let them have fun. Like, you know, Bryn Smith was the first winning pitcher in Rockies history. And he spoke at one of our Sabre banquets here in Denver. One of the very first, I think it was the first one that I ever went to. And I remember him, one of the the things I took away from his speech was, he goes, every year, and this is in California where he lives, he said, every year for our team, our youth team, he goes, we would have a barbecue, a parents-only barbecue. He goes, what I would do is we'd go to the park, and I would take all the baseball equipment, and I'd turn the bag upside down, and I'd shake it and dump it onto the field. And I'd tell all the kids, we're going to have a barbecue for the next two hours. I don't want to see any of you over there. And, and walk away. And basically saying to the kids, organize your own game, figure out the damn rules, and go play and have fun. We're going to go do adult things while you do kid things. Like, give them the freedom to figure stuff out on their own. And I think that, you know, I get from our baseball world that we're in, we don't give kids enough credit. We try and like hold their hand and guide them. Like, you know, like my six-year-old is going to be a big leaguer tomorrow, right? If he doesn't get a private pitching lesson, he's never going to make it. I'm like, just let him go be a damn kid. Like let him, let him figure things out. We don't always have to correct them or um, guide them. The, sometimes the best methods are hands off. And I've done this with my two boys. My, my kids are uh, 11 and 12. And sorry, 10 and 12. And so I gave, I gave Hudson an extra year there. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the only two things, I've, I've never given them a private lesson of any sort at any part of their, their lives. One, because I'm dad and I don't know anything. Um, they won't listen to me, I promise you. It's crazy you. how that works. I know, it's weird. <laughs> like, yeah, I play in the big leagues. It, it, you don't know uh, but the only two things I've ever told them is throw the ball as hard as you can every single time and swing the bat as hard as you can every single time and good things will happen. And granted, they've had some great coaches over the years that have taught them things, but they, they're not private pitching lessons. They're in a team setting. And you know, to my kids' credit, they're both tremendous athletes. They both throw really freaking hard. They both swing the bat really freaking hard. And they're both very successful. They play on tournament teams that um, – I'm not a big tournament team guy, but it's a necessary evil at some levels. And over the years, we just haven't been a slave to tournament ball. And so this year, I'm going to be a little bit more slavish to those types of things. But I've already pre-warned their coaches, like, 
I ain't doing 16 tournaments. Like you might get eight to 10 out of me, if that. And because I don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be there either, but I don't want to be a slave to traveling all over the damn place just so you can play six games in a weekend. Like it's ridiculous to me. But that hands-off approach was really freaking hard. Like as a parent to like the end of the season, my kid goes, dad, I'm done with baseball. Like, don't want to look at a glove, don't want to pick up a bat, don't want to watch anything on TV. Whatever sport is in season is what I'm into. So it was football, it was hockey, it was basketball, right? And I'm like, hey, you want to go play catch? No, not interested. And, and it was hard, really hard. And as, I, as, I, as the years went on, it got a lot easier for me to go, all right, they're going to go do what they do. Right? And at the end of the day, they still love playing baseball, even though we have our battles. We don't want to go to practice. And I don't want to go to games. I want to do that. I don't have a time. Shut up. <laughs> you know, we've made a commitment. You're going to commit to it. Right? So, um, but they've grown to be tremendous athletes. And now this year, for whatever reason, my oldest is just turned 12. At the end of the season, he dropped it in fifth gear. And it has been all baseball all the time. And now we're watching, instead of watching, you know, some YouTuber play video games. I'm watching Dodger highlights or, you know, World Series highlights. Of, he's become a huge Cody Bellinger mark. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, he changed his batting stance in All-Stars to mimic Cody Bellinger and didn't get out until the last game. And now he thinks he's Cody Bellinger. And then this fall he struggled. I'm like, hmm, Cody Bellinger's not sustainable, is he? <laughs> Even Cody Bellinger knows he's not sustainable. You know, and then we're watching the, you know, the playoffs. The playoffs. And, yeah. Like, oh. Well, he struggled until the big moments, right? And you get a base hit or you hit a bomb or something like that. I get a text message from my kid and be like, hey, Dad, he's back. I'm like, oh, he's not back. He just got lucky, kid. You have no idea. But anyway, and I love it. I love that he's into it because he watches. And kids are really good at picking up things from watching them, right? Like when he was a little boy, he would watch Todd Helton, Carlos Gonzalez. And he, all of a sudden, his swing looks just like Todd and Cargo. And I'm like, stay there. Don't move. Like, perfect, right? Then he wanted to switch it, so he starts batting like Nolan. I'm like, stay there. Don't move. Like, perfect. And um, I, I think, like I said, we don't give kids enough credit. If they watched the game more instead of played the game more, they would actually be a lot better because they would pick up positive movement properties from big league hitters, right? They would, the kids are really good at looking at details and then mimicking them. And a lot of times what they mimic ends up being really good movement patterns. Yeah, it's not like they're watching the local high school game with some kid throwing 60 poo and, you know, some kid's got a really long loopy swing or one kid's chopping wood or whatever it might be, right? They're watching the best of the best and they're trying to emulate the best of the best. And that's how those kids are going to end up being like you and I, right? We watched a lot of games when we were kids. We tried to emulate guys that we played, that, that we watched, right? I'd love to try and hit like, you know, Barry Bonds or King Griffey Jr., even though I'm right-handed, right? Or I'd like, you know, I want to pitch like Greg Maddox or Randy Johnson or, you know, Pedro Martinez or whatever it might be. Like, I'm going to mimic these things and kids figure things out on their own. They don't need to be led and directed. They'll eventually find the end, right? They're going to take a little bit longer path, but eventually they're going to get there. And it's really hard as a parent to step back and go, all right, I've got to trust the process, right? Just like 
what we do in the cage with our kids, trust the process, same thing from a parenting standpoint. That's got to be tough, but the idea, and you mentioned it just right there, is that it may take them longer to finish that maze, but I think the fact that if you make them go through the maze themselves, they'll start picking up when they reach a dead end, Mm -hmm. they'll start remembering what it looks like before they got to that dead end. And so then when they're moving forward and they're getting older, now they're going to be able to apply those like, hey, I remember, you know, last year I started doing this, my arm started hurting or mm-hmm. this or, or it didn't work out for me or whatever it may be. The following year when they start getting closer to that or they start working towards that same, you know, failure, mm-hmm. if they were the ones that realized that they failed, if they're the ones that learned how to make that adjustment, they're going to figure it out. Yeah. Now one of the cues I've been using in here a lot is if, you know, my guys, if they just were learning how to swim, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll throw the floaties on, we go to the deep end. But if me as an instructor, I still have to hold you by the butt and have you barely out of the water. Right. You as an, uh, as a kid, you're not going to learn how to swim because you know, I'm always right there. Throw them in there. You got to jump in the deep end. Sink or swim. It's going to happen. Exactly. And and I think so many people don't, like you said, it's scary to Mm -hmm. allow that to happen. And you said it took time for your yep. your boy to kind of come back around and, you know, start asking the questions that you were asking just right. a few years ago. And from an instructor standpoint, did has that helped you allow to kind of understand uh, more on the uh, instruction side of how to yeah, work and I interact think, with kids? And, and I think that's another hard thing to do as an instructor is to not talk, right? It's you know, I think it's easy for us to give some sort of a critique on every pitch or every swing, oh, that was great, or, you know, oh, that was bad, or, you know, yeah, but, you know, you just dipped your elbow a little bit, or, you know, you just did this, like, let me just see you do it a couple of times, right? I think one of my favorite cues that I do with, with kids is, you know, they'll throw a pitch and be like, how'd that feel, right? What, the, what, you know, what did you feel there? Like, you know, I wouldn't tell them whether it was good or bad. I don't want them to know that. I just want to know how they felt, right? And, and, there's that light bulb moment for kids and it happens a lot right where we've been working on correcting something and then they go do it bad and you can see the the result almost immediately and then i look at them and i go what'd you feel he goes we did it wrong didn't we like good now we're now we're growing right because now if i know what wrong feels like then i can go back and do what right feels like and i can do it more often right and then that self-correction starts to show up where now I'm in a game or maybe I'm training on my own, like going back to your example, is, you know, we start heading down that path of bad and you start to go, oh yeah, I remember when I was doing good, I was doing this. And all of a sudden we start working our way back. So it's not always a straight line. It's not linear, but it might look more like peaks and valleys, right? As long as we don't reach the bottom, we're doing all right. Right. As long as at some point it's like, you know, we'll use Cody Bellinger because he's terrible. Right. But Cody Bellinger realized he was almost at the bottom. I mean, he couldn't have been any lower than batting average. Right. (laughs) But he finally made an adjustment, widened his stance. Right. And all of a sudden, by the end of the year, you could see his stock starting to come back up and you start to see the confidence come back up. And that's the same thing with our kids. Like, it's okay to let them fail. Right. You you learn more from failure than you do from success. If you were always successful, you know, the first time you'd face adversity, you would never know what the hell to do. 
Right? I would much rather my kids strike out three games and ask me questions afterwards than to hit three bombs and not give two reps. Right? And, and for my kid, the fall was a great learning experience for him. He played up. He was only 11. Um, he's 12 now, but he was only 11 when he played, and he's playing against 13-year-olds. And he's like, Daddy, you know, I, you know, I can't get a hit or this, that, and the other. I'm like, yeah, dude, but you're not striking out. It's not like you're, you're, these guys are overmatching you. You're just you're mentally you're beating yourself. You know, he'd get on the mound, he'd strike kids out. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're pitch great. You're 11 years old striking out 13-year-olds. Think about that. Like two, two years older than you two years more baseball experience and you're beating them right and you're not even close to being like polished or perfect but you know you figured it out throughout the fall how to make those corrections and you did that by having a really bad fall like that's okay that's why i put you in this level and i pushed you because i don't want you to always be the best kid because if you're always the best kid you're never being challenged right i want you to be middle of the pack I don't want you to be the worst kid on the team. I don't want you to be the best kid on the team. I want you to be right in the middle. And I want you to, 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 I want to push you and you need to push yourself to try and be as good as those guys that are better than you. And I think that's how those athletes are going to grow. It's the idea of if you're trying to squat and let's say you're at 315. If you, if everyone else in the class is only at, what was it, 245 or whatever it is, 235, um, you're probably going to be at like 315 for a while unless you have just that stupid internal drive and you don't look outwards for any of the comparisons you're probably going to sit at three, uh, 315 for a while everyone else is going to see you at 315 right and they're going to try and get to your level but you aren't going to be trying to get to anywhere. yeah but if you reverse that if you're the only one doing 315 and yeah. everyone else is doing 405 right Oh, I bet your ass you're going to do everything you humanly yeah. can. It's hard. It's hard when you're at the top because you got nobody to compare yourself to other than, I mean, obviously in the professional level, you got to compare yourself to the greats, right? But when you're, when you are the great of your generation, what motivates you? What pushes you, you know, to, you know, kick those lower level guys down and be like, listen, dude, I'm the GOAT. Like the, there's a reason why I'm up here. And so that's where, you know, finding some self-motivation um, and constantly learning, I think, as an athlete and even as a coach, that helps us grow. Like, you know, a guy like Tom Brady doesn't stick around the league as long as he have and win as many um, rings as he have because he was content, right? He's not content, but every year he's trying to get better, right? Um, Randy Johnson uh, and I had a conversation one year um, the only conversation I have with him. Oh, there's a big old black cricket. Um, and uh, it was just in passing in the way, I always heard Randy Johnson was an asshole, right? And, and uh, his, I guess it's his legend on the mound, which kind of exuded that term. And I, pay, I faced off against him. This was his second go around with Arizona. Uh, we were at home here in Colorado. And I threw eight innings. I gave up a three-run bomb to Connor Jackson on a hanging changeup. And I lost three nothing. He went five and dive and got the W. So the next day in the weight room, I walk in there and you know, I'm starting to get my lift on and he's already in there lifting and just in passing. It's like, hey, Randy, you know, great, great job last night. And an hour later, we got done with our conversation. And when I got done, you know, one of the key points from that conversation was that he told me at the end of the year, look at your stats and figure out where's your weakness. What is something that I can work on this off season that I can add effectively to my toolbox?
right? And every year, if you're trying to add new, new tools to your toolbox, you get to keep growing and, and you get to continue to remain dominant. He goes, for me, one year was even just learning how to hit better. So I spent the whole off season just learning how to hit. And I'm like, I mean, that's pretty humbling as a pitcher, right? To know, like, well, I'd pretty much dominate everything I do on the mound. I mean, when you strike out 300 dudes and win Cy Youngs, what more is there, right? But, you know, for him, you know, he went out of his way to give me that nugget of knowledge that, you know, it might seem cliche coming from a guy like you or me, like, you know, we're not in the league or, um, you know, we're just working with kids. But, you know, when it comes from, like, one of the greatest of all time, it just gives you affirmation that, hey, the things we're doing here are the right things, right? And now we've just got to find how do we communicate that to our athletes. I wonder what offseason he worked on uh, Dalton Birds. You think he went to Kansas? I think he just worked on accuracy. It was just so good. It was, <laughs> it was impeccable. That mid-throw, he's like, oh, there's a bird. See, Got it. That was just unreal. And the fact that that's, you know. One it, happened, it happened again not, not that long ago. You might have to look it up on the, on the Internet. Really? I think it, was, it may have been in the Fall League that some, some kid throwing a ball, he dotted a bird mid-flight. We're going to have to pull that up. You had mentioned the idea of coaches needing to kind of ask, you know, how can I get better? Mm-hmm. But then also pushing your, uh, pushing the kids, pushing your kid into a little bit more of that uncomfortable failure aspect. Mm-hmm. When you're going through your training and the stuff that you guys do, how do you guys incorporate failure into your training? What does that look like? And how do you guys kind of manage that uh, with a new uh, uh, person? That yeah. So I don't actively – try and program in failure. Um, I think failure is just part of training. Uh, we see it more often than not uh, during velocity phases. We see a lot of failure and we see a lot of dejected players and athletes. So the way our program typically, we, we periodize um, how, we, how we work with our athletes. So that first month of training, if you, if, let's just say you, know, you came to me, you know, now it's no, middle of November, late November. He said, all right, coach, I haven't thrown a ball in a month. I said, all right, so for the first month of training, all we're going to do is build your arm strength. We're going to work on some correctives for whatever issues you might have. So we, we start all of our lessons with a movement screen, biomechanics report, um, and just a baseline mechanics evaluation. We just look for low-hanging fruit, right? Maybe it's a, a late arm, inverted W-type situation. Maybe you've got some forearm fly-out. Um, maybe your stride's too short, not long enough. Um, maybe you fly open, whatever it might be, right? Any multitude of different things. And so we work on some corrective drills while we're breaking, uh, breaking your arm back in and, you know, building that work capacity and that volume. So that first month, you know, what, what we might want to call failure in that first month is patience, right? Is going, all right, like I understand what we have to do in order to get to the fun stuff. And this is where, you know, like I said, we, we do a lot of driveline stuff, driveline protocols. And I think this is where people get off the rails on driveline is that they think, well, I'm just going to skip right to pull downs and plyovula without doing any kind of building, um, strengthening, anything. And then they break and then they blame the driveline protocols and they say, well, driveline broke me. Like, I can almost guarantee you driveline didn't break you, but you broke yourself by being a moron. So what most people don't see is that four to six weeks of buildup that most athletes are in the gym, you know, three, four days a week, 
going through boring drills and throwing and just building work capacity and arm strength so that when they do get to that velocity phase, they can do it without failing uh, right away or breaking. And so that patience in that first month, I think for some athletes is really difficult because it's like, when the hell am I going to actually do the funds? When do I get to build velocity? When do I get to do this, that, and the other? And I'm sitting there just programming out hybrid A and hybrid B days. And they're like, coach, you know, we get to the board, you know, we talked about boredom earlier. A lot of kids are in that phase. And then once they reach four to six weeks of on-ramping, then we switch into velo and all of a sudden I see their interest go, right? And now we're, hey, it's velo day, right? And we start our velo guys off really slow. Uh, we don't do the full boat right away. Um, we typically only do overload, underload, one overload, one underload, and a regular ball. Because um, most guys won't be able to get through. And it, it seems so benign because it's like 12 throws, but they can't make 12 max effort throws, right? So we build them up to get to that point. And so the failure in velocity is what we were kind of talking and alluded to earlier was that linear growth, right? Everybody thinks velocity development is linear growth, right? It's just every day I come in, I'm going to throw harder and harder and harder and harder. And at the end of the day, it looks more like a roller coaster. There's peaks and valleys in that roller coaster, but progressively it works in an upward trend. And so I had this discussion, we had 10 guys in last Friday, and some of them did really well. Most of them didn't. And so I had to have the discussion with them because you could see, you know, mopey, you know, frumpy shoulders and kicking the dirt and throwing their gloves and being really disappointed with themselves. And I said, guys, you know, we can celebrate the peaks and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And you absolutely should celebrate the peaks. But when we get into these valleys, the goal should not be to uh, wallow in misery the goal down there is to just realize, like, I just need to be as good as I can be today. That may not be, you know, let's just say a kid threw 90 last time, and now he wants to throw 91, but he only got to 86, right? It's not going to be 91 every day. It's going to be 86 today, right? And your body goes, you know, screw you, Connor. It's 86. Whether you like it or not, that's all you're getting, right? And then you go, screw you, body. It's 86.1 today, right? It's 0.1 better. Right. And that's that's where that growth is. And so, you know, when we look at growth in velocity and, and just in general in player development, typically there's that skyrocket right in the beginning, because now I've introduced your body to a brand new stimulus. Right. And it works the same way in weightlifting. And I'm sure you see it a lot in hitting as well, where it's like, boom, right. Exit velo went through the roof. I gained 10 miles an hour in the last two weeks. Right. Or, you know, with pull downs. Hey, I gained five miles an hour in the last two weeks. Beautiful. Right. And then there's this plateau. And then there's this regression, right? And that's where it starts playing mind games with guys because they're like, what am I doing? Why am I getting worse? Why can't I? Like, Some guys are five, six, seven, eight miles an hour lower than the first day they did it. I said, just be patient because right when you think it's over, boom, the rocket ship goes again, right? Because in that phase, your body is going through this adaptation where even though you're not throwing as hard as you can, you're building strength, you're recruiting new muscle fiber, and it takes time. Our bodies are not cell phones. It's not instantaneous results, right? It takes a minimum of eight weeks in the gym to start to see any noticeable difference. It's no different than when we're swinging or throwing or doing any other you know, movement mechanic. It takes time for those things to become permanent. And as long as you're patient, they'll show up,
eventually, but you got to be patient enough because some people might get to, you know, week 10, right? Or week six or seven. They're like, man, I've just been, I'm giving up. And they don't realize that in week eight, they're about ready to make a breakthrough, right? And so you've got to be patient. That's where failure needs to become a motivation. But you also need to have an understanding of why you're failing and how to take advantage of that fail, right? And in that moment, like I said, all I want to do is be 0.1 better that night. I don't need to be PR better. I just need to be 0.1 better. From an instructor standpoint, to you said that the, the ramp-up period for someone that you're working with, and we could use a, uh, an example of one of my guys, uh, Mr. Spencer Spina, uh, that has come into the, the fast baseball yeah. academy. Um, one of my guys just recently started. How, from an instructor standpoint, do you kind of get through to that player like, hey, I know this is boring. I know this you know, sucks. What do you guys, do you guys have that conversation? Do you lay out stuff? Like, Is it different from player to player? How do you gain that trust of the player that's like, hey, with me for the long haul, yeah. this is going to pan out? Yeah, I think it's... It's tough because you don't want to, like, use comparative things, right? I don't want to say, like, well, I had this other guy, Connor, and he came in. He looked just like you, and, you know, he gained five miles an hour and, you know, whatever. Because, you know, the business we work in, there shouldn't be any guarantees ever um, because bodies grow and develop at different rates. And so, you know, messaging and programming is going to be different for each kid. I think where we start to develop trust with our athletes is in our initial assessment. When we're sitting them down after we've gone through our movement screen, after we've done the biomechanics, after we've gotten through Rapsodo numbers, um, and we've explained what we see. I think we start to build trust with our athletes and their parents through knowledge, right? And, and being able to explain what they're looking at and why those things are important, right? If I said, all right, you know, let's take Spencer, and I, Spencer works with Cole, so he's, I don't, I don't. Tim? Do you work with Tim? Tim Wolf? Wolf, yeah. No, I don't, but that's Nick. Oh, that's right, that's Nick. Yeah. Gosh, so, <laughs> I'm full. <laughs> you keep sending guys our way, but I'm my, my calendar is jam-packed. Uh, but like I said, you know, let's just say Tim was in an inverted W, right? And I'm sitting down with Tim and Tim's dad, and I say, here's why an inverted W is bad, right? And I can give you plenty of examples of guys that blew out that had inverted Ws. I can show you pictures of Steven Strasburg and Mark Pryor and, you know, I can show you research and, and we can give you, you know, more data to back up what we're, what we're telling you. I think the important part when you're talking to an athlete is you need to know what you're talking about and you need them to understand that you know what you're talking about. Because they, again, we need to give athletes more credit than, than, than we currently give them. They're already on the internet, they're on social media, they're watching game. They're already exploring all these different things, and they just may not know what they are um, or why the, to do them or what order to do certain things in. So when you come to an athlete and you say, well, you've got an inverted W, right? That word, boom. All right, I know what an inverted W is. Now I explain why an inverted W is bad, and they go, huh, never knew that, right? And you start to build a trust level with them where they go, all right, maybe he does know what he's talking about. And then we get into... You know, here's some of the mechanical things we want to work on to fix that. And I show you drills on how to do that. And you start getting them to buy into it. And so you, anytime you give them a new stimulus, it's fresh, it's fun. It's like giving Strider a ball. And he's like, 
oh boy, like oh, it's a new toy, right? And eventually that toy rolls into the corner and he forgets about it, right? And that might happen, you know, two, it might happen in two weeks. Yeah, sorry. Oh, it, puppy it dog. It happens consistently, doesn't it? Yeah. You just got to give me more bones. Um, <laughs> but like for a new athlete, so we have a period in our, in our uh, program, we just call it an on-ramp. It's two weeks, and all, for do, all we're going to do for two weeks is I'm going to force you to memorize our arm care and warm-up program and just get acclimated to the drills and make sure you're doing them right. right? And at the end of two weeks, we're going to go into more individual work. We're now we're actually going to put you know, those drills into practice. We're going to have you start throwing them harder. We're going to start get, you know, building throwing volume, and then we're going to start getting into more of the mechanical things and start to build off of that. So we try and keep it fresh um, so that we're adding pieces in there where it is. It's a new toy, and all of a sudden, you know, you look at a kid and you do something, and you're like, oh, man, that was awesome. Then you take video, right? And I think, again, this is a generation that's very visual. They need to see things in order to believe them. It's not like... You know, I'm not even going to say my generation or even your generation because I'm very visual and I'm sure you are. Well, you're surrounded by computer screens and phones. <laughs> you're very visual as well, right? But it's not like our father's generations where, you know, somebody could tell me something and all of a sudden that means something to me, right? Like I, I don't, you know, our generation goes, I don't believe you. Show me, right? And this generation's no different, right? Now they want to see it. Now they would show me, but in high death. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, all right, okay. <laughs> So that's where taking video to show guys kind of before and after gets their juices flowing and goes, ooh, right? And then they start feeling better, and then they start seeing results. And that's when you start to get buy-in with the athletes and start getting them interested in the training part of it. And usually by the time that ends, now we're getting into velo. And now it's like, all right, I'm taking all these new mechanics, now I'm going to throw hard, right? And then again, we go into that roller coaster cycle. Um, before we move into, you know, mound velo or pitch design. And usually by the time we get to pitch design, which is my favorite part of the process, because that gets my juices going, where I can take a kid who's got a shitty curveball and I can make it a good curveball and I can watch the glow on his face as soon as that kid goes, oh boy, I've got a loaded weapon and I know how to use it, right? And then they start going out there and punching tickets and then I get text messages, dude, punched out eight guys today i'm like damn right you punched out eight guys right like you get them a new toy you know but i always tell them this is one of my favorite sayings as an instructor is i, I give kids the i tell them you, you have the spider-man conundrum with great power comes great responsibility so you know when we talk about throwing certain pitches whether it's a younger athlete and we're talking about curveballs right or an older athlete with some kind of an off-speed pitch that he's really proud of, or even a fastball for that matter. I'm like, listen, dude, we don't need to go out there and, you know, show the first batter, you know, your best stuff. Like, pump the brakes, you know, with younger kids. I'm like, it's one to two curveballs an inning. It's not one to two curveballs the batter. Like, we still have things that we need to work on. It's not just that one piece of the puzzle. So, um, but yeah, that's that. That's where, not like not necessarily building in failure, but you know, making them understand as we go along and keeping them interested by adding new pieces as we go. The piece that you said, getting that on that trust level, one of my absolute favorite things to do is I have about six different kind of categories I have for different types of hitters, especially at the amateur level. Mm -hmm. And uh, when guys come in, I kind of have preset drills for each type. 
Um, I don't tell them anything really on the first lesson. But after seeing them swing, and once I put them in the category in my head, uh, I love just to ask like, hey, does this sound like you? Do you happen to do blank? Right. Does this seem kind of, do you do blank? It turns into an infomercial. So. And they're, they're just kind of <laughs> looking at me like, how do yeah. you know? Like, what are you talking? Right, right. Yeah, I do that. And it's like, yeah. And so getting that idea and being able to gain that trust really yeah. early is really special. Um, and then I you thought can, you were going to say you jump in there and just start hitting nukes and hit tracks. Goes, yeah, it was 108. And, <laughs> you, know, you, just, you know, you, yeah. It's like kids are like, hey, coach, how hard do you throw now? I'm like, you throw harder than me. That's how hard you throw. <laughs> exactly. That's how hard we're at. That's, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was getting into the driveline stuff, right, one of my things was, well, if the kid, if I don't know what it feels like, the kid will never know what it feels like. So I put myself through the program, and I was having a blast doing it. And that was the last time I threw a ball competitively, you know, pulling down it, you know, in the 90s or whatever. And, like, that was fun, you know. And I watch kids do it now, and I'm like, fuck, I should get in there and do it with them. And then I realized that I'm 39 years old, and I'm probably going to break. <laughs> and I won't be able to wipe my ass in the morning if I did anything remotely close to what they're attempting. So I got to build trust other ways instead of just demonstrations. <laughs> You had mentioned some, uh, talking about new toys, uh, bringing in, introducing to some new things. Is fast baseball getting any new toys here recently <laughs> or anything like that? Yeah, we are getting some new toys. Oh, what are you guys doing? <laughs> How convenient. Um, so uh, we've always been on the cutting edge of toys, right? Um, we've owned a Rapsodo for, I think we're going on our fifth year now. Oh, wow. um, we were very early adopter. I think we had the first unit in the state. Um, I saw them, I didn't actually see them at ABCA, but, um, I saw them starting to grow through driveline. And then when driveline did their, um, comparative analysis between Trackman and Rapsodo and basically fell within the margin of error, I looked at the price of the Rapsodo and I said, I can't afford 20 grand, but I can afford three grand. And that's how much they were at the time. They've come up significantly, but either way. The very first episode you had you sit on a tripod behind the catcher. And I broke three of them. Sound like mariachis, like shaking them around. But they were really good with us. Um, so, like I said, I've always tried to bring that type of stuff to our athletes because, again, anything I can give them visually and help them explain certain things, and so that they can see it, um, we've all we've been all about that. So, you know, when when uh, Rapsodo came out the inside camera at ABCA a couple of years ago, I bought one right because I'm like, I can't afford an edger. Right, that's like eight grand, but in insight, three grand or 3,500, whatever it was. Like, I can afford that. So, we got an insight. And then we started showing guys what 850 frames per second looks like when your fingers are coming off a ball and people's brains are going, right? They're like, oh my God, what is this thing? Right? And, but just giving them more detail, more data, more insight has always been our goal, right? And then we started doing the pitch AI stuff and I'm not a biomechanist by any means. I look at a pitch AI report and I go, here's the important things, right? There's a whole bunch of large bars and graphs and things like that, but here are the ones that mean the most. Um, so we've got a baseline of knowledge there. But, you know, with my new instructor coming in and, you know, everybody in town's got a Rapsodo. It's not that I don't love my Rapsodo because I think, you know, it's, it's one... For any piece of technology, whether you're using Hitrax or Rapsodo or Blast or you know, any of those other people, it's one thing to say you have it. It's another thing to know how to use it 
And then on top of that, there's another thing to know how to relay that information in a format that is understandable for your athletes. So I think there's facilities in town that bought certain things, whether it's driveline balls or Rapsodo devices, because other facilities in town had them and were using them, and their athletes were probably like, hey, why don't you have these things? Like, I train here, and these are what we do. How come I don't have that access here? And so they said, well, we've got deep pockets. Why don't we just go get one? So they went and got one, and then they got everybody excited and go, sweet, we've got a Rapsodo. And then I'll talk to a certain athlete, and they'll I'll be like, hey, you know, it was the last time you threw a bullpen. I'm like, oh, I threw over at this place, and um, uh, throwing Rapsodo there. I was like, oh, did somebody watch you? Like, no, they just set it up for me. I was like, okay, and did anybody tell you about the data that you were collecting or what it looked like? Like, no, I was just on my own. I'm like, well, again, it's one thing to have a piece of technology. It's nothing to know how to use it and then relay it to your athletes. So long roundabout way, we are upgrading from Rapsodo to TrackMan. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, we took a leap of faith. Uh, it's a huge leap of faith for us <laughs> um, because it's a huge investment for us. But um, the TrackMan device, one, it's, it's just as portable as uh, Rapsodo is. Fits in a backpack with a tripod. The data is a little bit cleaner and more accurate. Um, I think from a major league level and even a collegiate standpoint, I think the data is more widely accepted as being more accurate. Um, there's some things that Rapsodo does, the way they measure, um, I believe it's horizontal break, um, the way it's inferred versus TrackMan, which is actually measured. Um, so you know, you're talking about a, a optical device like Rapsodo versus a radar-based device, which is what TrackMan is. So one of the limitations with Rapsodo is once the ball passes the unit, it doesn't know what happened between, you know, that 14 and a half feet and, home, and the catcher's glove, right? What it does is it, it creates a predictive model, much like your brain does as a hitter when I'm throwing a baseball, right? At, I believe it's 28 feet, your brain has already calculated everything that it possibly can before you react, Right, so you're intaking, you know, what, where the pitch is, what the velocity looks like, what maybe the spin looks like, and then your brain goes, all right, based off this information, I'm predicting that that ball is going to be here, right? And so that's what Rapsodo is doing. It's just predicting the ball is going to be here versus TrackMan, which goes, I'm not going to predict it. I'm just going to tell you where it went, right? I'm going to show you where it went. And there were some limitations on both devices, and I think they both have their pluses and minuses. But I think from an accuracy standpoint. Um, the TrackMan would be better, and the data, I can just print out a TrackMan report and send it to any college I want, and they'll go, I know exactly what this is, right? Or I give it to a pro team and be like, hey, here's TrackMan data, and they go, oh, yeah, we, we read that all the time. So I think there's going to be a learning curve for us on it as well. Like There's some new things on there, like learning about inferred spin versus actual spin, and, um, but there's some cool possibilities there. Um, and the other part is, will be the only privately owned TrackMan in the state. So I like being the, the, the trendsetter. It'd be really interesting, and you and I know who we're talking about here, it'd be really interesting to see if any facilities in town get one after we get one. Because as of right now, I said, outside of PBR, PBR uses one for their showcases, but that's the only place you can get TrackMan data is going to a showcase. Now you'll be able to come to Fast Performance get a pitching evaluation and get actual track man data the same that you would at a showcase so let me just i, I kind of want to just 
do a little full circle. When you walk into fast, and I'm saying it just as fast for the moment for this reason. When you walk into fast, you're going to have a massage therapist. You're going to have people that can work with you for strength. Mm -hmm. You have people that's going to work with you on hitting. There's mm -hmm. going to be people working on you for throwing uh, strength and uh, uh, mobility. Um, and then you're also going to have someone there for to help with pitch design. Yep. What are you guys missing? <laughs> Athletic training uh, was a huge part of one of the reasons that we I said my vision for our facility when I first started, because when I was at Legends, you know, I had our strength guy was up at Big Bear Ice Arena. And so I would send my guys to Big Bear Ice Arena to lift. And I'm like, God, it'd be awesome if they were just like here. You know, I get done throwing, like, hey, go see Joel and go lift. How awesome would that be? So then we had the opportunity where my lease was coming to an end. Joel's lease was coming to an end. And he goes, hey, dude, you, uh, you like want to move into the same building together? And I'm like, uh, hell yeah. So then we started looking for a place, and we ended up moving into place out east um, with another business partner who ended up, well, he should be in an orange jumpsuit, but that's for a whole other podcast. And it didn't work out, right? It didn't work out at all, and because we weren't really calling the shots, and he was, and he wasn't calling very good shots. So, you know, we ended that, that relationship. We got out of there. Thank God we didn't, you know, lose anything necessarily outside of beautiful building 30,000 square feet oh. um did you ever go to I, I never was able to stop by the first one yeah it was 30 it's three times bigger than the one we're in now we had problems filling space which we don't have at the current spot which i i like i, I like smaller and more manageable right it's a good thing if i've got to shoehorn people in Right? That means at least we're, we're making the most of it. Fit in like a little side corner or Sunday morning. Yeah, or just like, like I, I, I do all of our scheduling. And so I look at my schedule. I'm like, holy crap. Like, I've got all these teams on the board. And then I'm like, where am I going to give my individual lessons at now? Like, where, do I, where does that fit? And then I look at the weekends and I go, all right. I guess we got to bite the bullet for the weekend. So, yeah, eventually it's going to be seven days a week, which is, you know, as long as we're making some money and, and having fun and kids are getting better, we're, we're okay with that. But, um, sorry, where were we going with that? Oh, um, no, where were we going with that? I forgot. Uh, you, you were talking about the old building. Yeah, yeah. With fast and stuff like that. Oh, like what other pieces do we need, right? So, again, that was my vision was to have everything all in one spot, right? When I played here as a Rocky – you know, I would go throw somewhere, I went somewhere different for PT, and I lifted somewhere different. Right? I spent all day driving around town just so I could get these things in. I'm like, how cool would that be if I spent two hours at the facility, I got my PT done, I got my throwing done, my hitting done, and I got to go home, right? And that's two hours later. Instead of, well, mom had to drive me here, and dad had to drive me there, and, you know, it's a seven-day process to do what you could potentially do in two or three days. So that was the whole goal. Everything's under one roof. And so we got that ability to do it at this facility. Um, unfortunately, I think I mentioned it earlier, our athletic trainer moved um, to Ohio. So we've been missing that component to it. But the light at the end of the tunnel, we had a great meeting with another group up north out of Fort Collins that might be potentially coming down and occupying that space. And they have very similar thought processes on player development like that you and I have in terms of being more new school, kind of um, open-minded approaches to things. These guys, from a medical standpoint, 
they want to do all non-surgical intervention on stuff and they've had incredible results and they use really cool pieces of technology that come out of other countries that uh, you know people in the united states are not either open-minded enough to or um, you know maybe they're not you know quote unquote approved for clinical use you know at, at more official type places um, these guys are using it and they're using it very effectively and so we had great conversations with them and i think you know philosophically we are all on the same page it just comes down to is it fit how much is it going to cost what's the interaction between companies going to eventually look like because um, ideally for me if i've got a kid on the floor he goes oh man i you know i i think my you know my rib hurts or something like that or my my shoulder's sore i can go all right connor go see the trainer right and they'll be able to take a look at you and then they say all right based off what we see oh you got a strained lat like we're going to sell you a package of you know 10 10 therapy sessions doing this device whatever for an hour we're going to put throwing on hold like that, that kind of interaction, it makes, it makes our facility more professional, right? Because now I'm treating a high school athlete or a youth athlete or college athlete. Now I'm treating you like a professional would be, right? If I was with the Rockies and I'm throwing a bullpen and I strain my lat, what is he going to tell me to do? Hey, go see the trainer, right? What's the trainer going to tell me? Like, hey, you're going to skip throwing for the next week and a half and we're going to do PT, Right? And so what do I do? I do PT for two weeks and then I get into a return to throwing program and then I'm back into the program, right? That interaction at the facility level needs to happen and it needs to be more frequent. You can't just be a monotone you know, way of thinking from a player development standpoint. That's why we do player development. I don't run teams. I develop athletes. And developing athletes includes strength and conditioning. It includes physical therapy if need be. It includes mental training. It includes nutrition. It includes all of those things. That's what player development is. That's special, man. That's special. It needs to be, there needs to be more thought like that, right? We need to get out of that single lane thought process of, well, we're just going to play more games and play more tournaments. You're going to get exposure and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, yeah, but there's way more that goes into it if you want to play at the next level. If you don't, that's fine. Go play tournaments. Go knock yourself out, right? I'm sure you've seen our, my posts on our local Facebook network group and people just drive me batshit crazy. Because I'm like, you know, obviously, I'm a, I played 10 years of professional baseball. I Clearly, I don't know shit, which is fine. If you don't believe that, knock yourself out, right? You know better than me for your kid. And I don't disagree. You're the kid's parent, right? But you got to be a little bit more open-minded to the fact that maybe little Johnny doesn't need to be playing 90 games, over the course of the summer and the fall, maybe he only needs to play 60 games, uh, or maybe he needs to do more development work, or maybe you just need to let him go be a kid. One of those, one of those is going to be the, a better choice than 90 games. I don't care if he keeps asking for it or not, because eventually little Johnny's going to break, and then then you're going to have real big problems if little Johnny can't play and he really wants to play, right? Especially if little Johnny wants to go on to the next level. So, but he broke because not necessarily a fault of anybody else's, but the sheer fact that you overloaded him, you continually broke him down without ever building him back up. That's why there are certain safety measures in place, right? There's red flags all over the joint. But if you continue to ignore those things, something catastrophic can happen. And I think that's what we all need to be aware of. Not only as instructors, you know, you and I, we know that, right? But parents, you know, parents that, are, that don't know any better need to be aware of what those red flags are. 
it's one of those things where I, I struggle trying to understand sometimes, like I'll meet with a parent or whatever it is, you know, working with a new kid. Um, it seems like I know what you guys do. I, I look to do the same where we're able to kind of put a plan together from one of the beginnings and stuff like that. And sometimes I feel like when I'm kind of, you know, walking these parents through the plan, it almost feels like there's doubt of what I'm doing. And it, it, it's not doubt that I don't know what I'm doing. It's doubt that I am not, I don't know their kid right. or something like that. And it's like, well, you know, Timmy doesn't like to do those things. Or, yeah. Oh, those, when, yeah. When I get told the Timmy best, the best like is when stuff. I, yeah, the best is when I get the, the parent of a nine-year-old. It's like, hey, you know. Little Johnny wants a private pitching lesson. He needs a private pitching lesson. I'm like, well, here's why I don't do him. Well, he's he's the you know the number one ranked nine year old in the state. I'm like, oh really? Like, go tell it to somebody who actually gives a shit because I don't. You know, and I've had parents that have gone that route, and I'm like, well then why do you need my help if he's the number one? Like, what what are you trying to tell me? Like that your kid's better than I am? Like, I, I don't care. And, and number one, which state? There's yeah. so many state titles. There's so many different leagues. Right, right. There's so many, there's so many different, different organizations. And... Because when we did just have one state title, you had a lot of people that lost. Yep. And a lot of people that didn't win. So then they made a second division. Right. And then now well, you now have, you have double winners, A, triple A have... majors. You have gold, platinum, silver, diamond. Yeah, it's – but it, I mean, it's all part of the racket, right? That – you know, that's why these tournament organizations make money hand over fist. And, you know, when you're getting six, seven, eight hundred bucks a team and you're guaranteeing three games and you, you can admit any number of teams and say, all right, we got 40 teams. All I got to do is get three games apiece and we're solid. Right. And so I just made, you know, I made 25 grand over the weekend. Right. And maybe it cost me five to put the whole thing on. Right. Because these teams all want to do this. Right. I, I get it. I'm not faulting those organizations for doing that. But at the same point, I'm like. You're also contributing to a huge problem, right? In that we've we've got kids that play way too much and don't practice nearly enough. Do you think the reason that kids are playing so much? One, I think there's just so many damn teams. I think there's been too many people that have been told no, and mm -hmm. instead of learning why they were told no, they just went to somebody else. Right. And now either their dad or their mom or whoever, their t uncle but now they've made a new team and mm -hmm. now you have another team and yeah. another team and another team. And no one is like you said, developing, no one is getting better because they're not being put in a position where they're forced to. Right. Why do you think, what do you think is, is the pressure for so many games? Is it the coaches? Is it high school coaches? Is I think it it's, parents? I think it's money and expectations, right? Like, um, you know, as a parent, if I'm going to pay, let's just say three grand, for my kid to play on a team, I have expectations that my kid's supposed to play a certain number of innings, given a certain number of bats, we're supposed to play a number of games, right? Like I want to get my money's worth. And so I think in pursuit of getting your worth, coaches have just said, hey, why don't I just, you know, we're going to play 16 tournaments. Like the summer's 16 weeks long, we're going to play a tournament every weekend. And that's how we're going to get better. I think part of it is, Ignorant parents, right? They don't know any better. Or parents that are overzealous that just get so into the moment where they're like, oh, yeah, let's, they, they don't understand volume and how kids break down and things like that. And it, it's, 
maybe ignorance is the wrong word, but I feel like there's an ignorance there. And there's, there's a lack of direction from professionals like you and I and even Major League Baseball. And, and listen, MLB did a great job with PitchSmart in getting that into Little League and getting it into Cal Ripken Leagues. But there really hasn't been a follow-through on it, right? Like, I feel like they said, hey, we developed this thing. Here's a bunch of paperwork and go ahead and just, just distribute it, right? They didn't, like, go deeper on it. And I think there's, there, there's a level of education um, for parents and coaches that they just need to understand these things, right? Where, you know, what's important, what's not important, you know, are more games important or is more practice important? I think there needs to be an education piece in there where you go to a coach, and some coaches are really good about it, and other coaches are really bad. I mean, you've seen, I'm sure your guys have played for terrible coaches, right? I've, how many times have you seen a video where coaches are fighting each other, right? Or parents are getting tossed out of games and, you know, brawling in the, in the stands or whatever it means. I'm like, what is this? Like, we're talking about youth baseball. Like, does it need to be like this? No, right? And, and that's where I said there, there's, a, there's a disconnect, right, between overzealous coaches and parents and professionals and direction from that level where they go, yeah, that's really just not healthy. It's not good mentally, physically. You guys, you know, and you, there's plenty of examples in the world, right? You look at Dominican kids, they, they practice five times more than they'll ever play right but they come off the island at 510 and a buck 35 chucking 97 two seamers with filthy life to them and you go well how the hell does that happen right well little billy you know well you know pedro was practicing you know all the way up till he was 16 years old and now he throws 97 billy was playing 90 games a summer and uh you running out of juice or something? No, I'm just very annoyed oh. <laughs> with the 15 different things that are oh. sending off alerts. You're fine. But you know what I mean? Like I said, we, we've placed too much importance on games and not nearly enough importance on player development or practice or skill acquisition, which is really, at the end of the day, when you look at what Major League Baseball is demanding of our athletes these days, Skill acquisition is by far the most important piece. They don't give two rips you played 90 games as a 12-year-old, right? They just want to see that you throw 95, right? Or you throw 95 to the backstop, but you still throw 95. We'll teach you how to control it, right? Like, that's, those are important. Whether you like it or not, that's the way Major League Baseball operates. Yes, do they want polish? Yes. Do they want guys that can locate? Yes. But do they want power first and foremost? Yes, right? They want dudes who hit 9,000 foot home runs and they want dudes to throw piss missiles to home plate at 100 miles an hour with 12 inches of lateral break. Like it's just, it, it's the way of the world, right? And don't be mad that little Billy didn't get a chance to go play Division One baseball because he throws 75 because he played 90 games as a 12-year-old, right? And, and never really developed the skills necessary. Right. And skills, not just baseball skills. Right. You have there's a cricket on my knee. Get that on video. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> there he Jenny, goes. What you doing? Three, bro? two, one. Pew. Oh, 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 did you hear that ping off your, oh. your leg? He's all right. He's out for 
with a concussion. How the hell did he get up on my sh- All right. Anyway. That's NFL protocol. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which eyes is it? Um, uh, but you know what I mean? Like they said, you, you spend so much time playing games, you forgot to d- develop or acquire the skills necessary to play that game at the next level. And I, you can't be mad at, at the game, right? You can be mad at the player, right? Because the game, the game knows how to game, right? But players need to know the game better. I've always told people it's a lot easier to learn how to handle a Ferrari after you've been driving it than it is to try and put turbo in a Corolla. <laughs> like the Corolla, that, that thing's kind of capped. Right, right. But you can always learn how to control sure. that violence and everything like that. And that's, I think that's where learning intent at a young age is really important, right? I alluded to earlier that the only two things I've ever taught my kid, throw hard, swing hard, right? Building intent is way easier for me to teach kids how to control intent. Like it, I've always told people, if my oldest son gets to high school and the book on him is he throws about as hard as we've ever seen anybody throw at his age, he has no freaking clue where it's going, and I've done my job. Right? Because I'll teach him how to control it. That's easy. But it's much more difficult the older you get to teach intent because that's something that has to be rewired in our brains versus when you're a young kid and you don't know any better, you just do it. Right, and then eventually we can teach you the motor patterns to get you to control that violence. And something that you mentioned earlier, um, your body is ever changing. So yes. if you're teaching someone how to just place something, and they're ten, mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily going to translate no. when you become eleven. Fine motor skills don't really show up until post puberty, right? When you get to start refining those motor skills. But like I said. Your telemetry, I grew five inches between my sophomore and junior year of high school. I didn't know my ass from a hologram. I looked down at my shoelaces and go, holy shit, those still belong to me. (laughs) Like that's way the hell down there. I got to tie those. Like that thing moves from up here. Like that whole concept, like you've got to realize that kids are, and they're going to grow at different rates. You know, puberty is the great equalizer. The best nine or 10 year old might be an average middle of the road 13 14 year old and the worst nine or ten year old might be the best 14 year old in the state right and it all changes right where where it looks like this at the lower levels then you get to high school and it looks like this right and then once you get past high school then it starts to then you start to see the skill start to separate the men from the boys right and that's where all of that you know leading up to it that's where all of that comes into play Something earlier that we talked about, we said that um, the, the ignorance aspect of uh, wanting to play so many games rather than the idea of training. Do you think that might be from what, how many coaches we have, how many different teams we have, and parents, when they go to the practice, they see a majority of how these practices or training by these private instructors are being held. Mm-hmm. You and I know most of the time when we go to some you know thirteen u practice or there are some instructors in this state that when you show up to something it doesn't look what it's supposed well, to be. Well, I think that's that's non baseball people trying to be baseball people, right? And then you you alluded to it, or I guess you asked the question earlier about you know too many coaches. Like you know anybody can be a coach or or call himself a coach, right? I basically I organized a team of individuals and now we're at the baseball field. Well, now what do we do, right? Well. I saw this guy on YouTube do a bunch of this stuff. So that's what we're going to do. And right and then, you know, parent played, you know, the coach goes, well, it's three grand to play on the team. So parent shells out three grand. Then they go to practice, 
and you know coach YouTube's out there and they go what the hell is this shit I didn't pay for this like I paid for a professional this that or the other right and and that's where anybody can be a coach right but not everybody knows baseball not everybody knows how to develop baseball not everybody knows how to coach baseball or communicate it so that's where yes there are too many coaches right there's not enough qualified individuals to educate you know not enough coaches clinics and then I mean, we could have a whole other podcast about this, right? Coaches within the coaching realm can't agree on anything, right? And this is, again, this is more of my deep thoughts. Black and white, old school, new school. There's no gray area in here, right? The old school guys look at you and I and go, bunch of yokels, right? Those freaking technology, like we've been doing stuff for 100 years this way and it works, right? And we go, well, we've got technology that measures what you used to do. Yeah, some of it does work. We use those still. But the other pieces, those don't work. We've got better versions of them, right? And I feel like the old school guys look at you and I with disdain, right? They're like, those guys don't know shit. And then we look at them and go, hey, thanks for everything that you did up to this point. We appreciate it. But, you know, we're going to take it from here. Like there's, there's a little bit more of a, a respect from our end being the new school guys, to what preceded us, right? You were able to accomplish so much great stuff without the use of technology, and it worked for 100 years. But now we've got ways to measure things. We've got ways to quantify things. We have science and data. We have studies. We've got plenty of examples, right? We keep all kinds of stats, new age metrics, right? And the old school guys look at all that stuff and go, that's a bunch of hooey, right? And that, you know, we get into the debate all the time online. Oh, that guy's got a launch angle swing. I'm like, oh, yeah? I get, I, let me tell you something here, sweetheart. Every ball that you hit has a launch angle to it. There's not a swing designed for quote-unquote launch angle. Every batted ball has a launch angle. That's not a swing type. It is the result of a swing. Even the ones Every the swing. 70s, yes, correct, 100%. <laughs> what they were. Yeah, but like they've misconstrued this idea that we have found that between a certain angle, right, between, what is it, 20 and 35? Uh, it looks like a do you have, 15 over there uh-huh. and 35 is going to be that. Right, right. So, so there's ideal areas that we want to hit the ball, and we can train ourselves to hit balls in those areas more frequently, right? That is, that is not a radical idea. It's not a swing type. It is training, just like you guys train to chop wood. Right. Again, we can go into whole kind of, I'm just stirring the pot here. So, yeah. So, but you know what I mean? Like old school, new school, right. And like I said, even within the coaching realm, we can't agree with each other. So when, you know, Johnny all-stars dad wants to coach a, a club and he doesn't know squat, who's he going to listen to? Well, if we're not putting information out there as coaches, you and I, or even old school guys if we're not putting out coaches clinics and giving these guys resources where are they going to go for their information they go to youtube they go to social media right and who's who are the most prominent youtuber and social media types the guys who don't know squat who teach the wrong things they just got this huge following where (coughs) we can listen to the jackasses on tv all we want all the guys who a-Rod, Tomei, Chipper Jones, like all those fools who think like, oh, I swing down on the ball. I'm like, you know what? 
you hit 500 plus home runs in your career, all of you. Nobody was swinging down on a damn ball. I'm sorry. It just, it, you didn't swing down. I promise you. I'll go back and pull video. Now, real versus feel, right? We can get into that discussion. That's a hitting discussion. I don't get into that world. I'm a bunter. That's it. That's all. That's my, I know what I don't know, right? But, again, that's, that, that's where, you know, going to get those amateur coaches to get them educated is a giant missing piece of the puzzle because there's a lot of guys who want to be coaches, but there's not a lot of guys who can coach. So for, let's say, one of those coaches that um, you know, wants to do, because I feel like there's so much. I know, just, just checking. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you're going to like this transition. Yes, yes. I know that there's a lot we might of have to do a part two. that I think they want to help so badly, they just don't know how. Sure. So for someone that has, uh, you know, the want to put out this information, mm -hmm. former big leaguer, Okay. A facility that literally is doing everything that they humanly can to make sure that once you walk into this building, you technically don't have to leave. Right. Where can a coach like that find information from you guys, fast baseball, fast performance? Where can they get the information that they need to be reading and need to be understanding? Sure. Uh, I mean, you can just start by asking us, um, you know, who, who are your influences or... You know, where, where go to our website, right? Go to fastcolorado.com. I see your plug there, right? Fast baseball on Instagram. DM us, right? My DMs are open. You can slide into them. Um, but fastcolorado.com, we've got a contact page on there. Come into the facility. Say hi. Shake some hands. Kiss some babies. You know, take some pictures. You know, put us out on social media too. That's an awesome place. But you know, there's a lot of great resources. And and I what I always tell people is this. I I'm a, I'm a pitching guy, right? Go to Alan Jager's website, jagersports.com, and follow the rabbit from there. Like, that's how I started, right? Jager's one of my mentors. He's a great friend. I'd call him up right now. We'd have a great conversation, much like we've had tonight. And very, very similar topics, right? But, you know, when I had questions about the sport, I went to Alan. Like, I had questions. Like, I had an athlete go, hey, coach, what do you know about weighted baseballs? It's like, fuck, I don't know. They scare me. And then he'd come back a week later. Hey, coach, what do you know about weighted baseballs? I'm like, fuck, all right. I'll call Alan. I call Alan. Alan goes, tell you what, talk to my boy Kyle up in Seattle. Yeah, he runs this place called Driveline. I was like, all right. So I ended up calling Kyle. I ended up talking with Kyle and, and, and Mike Rothwell, their CEO, for like 45 minutes. I said, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting stuff. You know, I went back and read through all their research that they had posted. We have blogs, right? I went to the Driveline blog, Fast Colorado. We have a blog page. You can go read our blogs there. You may not like the topics, but you should read them. Um, so I read through all their blogs, and I said, you know what? I like this. This, they, this sounds pretty cool, but I need to know what it feels like. So I put myself through the program. That's how I start, right? Then after reading Kyle's stuff, following him on social media, and reading Jager's stuff, following him on social media, that led me to the baseball ranch in Texas. Now I'm starting to learn about, you know, what is Ron Wolforth teaching, right? And then Ron Wolforth has a buddy down in Florida that was running the armory at the time, and now it's Florida Baseball Ranch, right? So I'm like, all right, what do they know, right? And then where does that lead me? Well, that led me up to Connecticut and AB Athletics and, and Austin Wasserman and high-level throwing. I was like, all right, sweet. Ooh, I like that, right? And I go to Florida, ooh, I like that. And like, Texas guy, I'm like, ooh, I like that. Like driveline guys, I'm like, ooh, I like that, right? And obviously the Jager guys, I'm like, of course I like that. 
right? And so we started looking at all these things and going, all right, how do we develop fast performance or fast baseball at the time? Well, Jason was pitching academy at the time. Right? How do we, how do we take all of these pieces and make our own program? And that's where we started, right? I said, all right, I believe in arm care. We're doing arm care. Jager bands are the core of our arm care program. Said, let's do weighted balls, right? It's great for warming up. It's great for building strength and reinforcing good mo movement patterns. Boom, right? Now I've got throwing problems. Well, shoot, I need that connection ball. Got a connection ball. Boom, now I'm inside 90. Now I don't have any inverted W anymore. Thank you, baseball ranch, right? Then um, uh, with our youth athletes, like I can't teach them plyo care drills because they don't know the movements. But I go up to Austin Washman, and I got this great overhead throwing drill. I was like, perfect. Put that in the program. Like we started plug and play, right? And so, you know, if you said, what is your, what is fast baseball's program? I would tell you. Fast baseball's program is a combination of a bunch of different thoughts, right? I started chasing the rabbit, and that's where it led me, right? Do we have heavy influences? Absolutely, right? Jager, driveline are massive influences on what we do, right? But what we do is pieces of what I think are some of the best in the industry that are doing it at very high levels, right? If you talk about, like, even our med ball stuff, where does my med ball stuff come from? Well, there's a guy named Eric Cressy who's like the best weight trainer for baseball players in the freaking world and has a ton of free content on his website. Go use those resources. Like there's, in my mind, the people who do it the best don't hide their work. It's not behind a paywall. It's out in the open. Driveline is all out in the open, right? Jager, out in the open. Eric Cressy, out in the open. Now you want to go train at those places? You got to pay, right? And some of them you got to pay very handsomely, right, for their knowledge, but they put a ton of resources out there for free. Utilize those. Don't go to, you know, Jim Bob on, or, or get your, who's that guy? Uh, <laughs> who's the hitting guy on, on YouTube that's hilarious? Not, oh, Domingo. No, not, not Domingo. The other one, uh, uh, you know, he was talking about, like, pumping the, pumping the or planting the flames and uh, uh, hitting bombs. And, and uh, why can't I think of his name? Murphy. Oh, Kim Murphy. Kim Murphy, yeah. Like, if your coaching philosophy is a combination of Domingo Ayala and Kent Murphy, we've got problems. We've got big problems, right? But that's what I mean. Like, there's good resources and bad resources. And if you're not in the know, then how are you supposed to know that, you know, this guy on this page or website or YouTube channel or whatever, he's not the right guy, right? And you guys have hitting resources much like I've got pitching resources. I'm sure you know, you've done some driveline stuff or you've looked at uh, Coach Lyle or uh, you know, a lot of guys on Twitter. I think there's more hitting guys on Twitter than there are pitching guys. Pitching Twitter is an ugly space. But um, you know what I mean? Like you have your resources, we have our resources. And maybe there's something where we just need to pool our resources and be like, hey, listen, if you want the right information, go to these guys, right? And again, I've always been a firm believer. It's behind a paywall it's probably not good information, right? They're just trying to monetize you, right? And to, and to give you whatever that knowledge is. Like, I, I guess I, I haven't name called anybody yet, but I'm going to do it right now. One of my, as I was going through that process, Lance Wheeler was a very big influence on um, a lot of those guys. Like Lance and, and Alan knew each other and, and, and Kyle at the driveline. Like they all kind of knew each other. And then they're like, oh, this guy Lance is amazing. And I started like going through Lance's stuff and I'm like, all right, like I, I see, you know, he was using the core, he's the, the core velocity belt guy, right? Oh, okay. 
and he's at a he's in Tennessee or Nashville. And I started like reading through some stuff, but it's like I just felt like I was getting a sales pitch every single time. Like I was I was trying to look for more, and I never really found it. Finally, one day he was selling one of his training manuals, and I was like fifty bucks. I was like, all right, I'm gonna bite the bullet. I'm just going to buy this thing. I want to see what's in here. And I got done reading it. And it was like, I don't know, 15, 20 pages long. Not, not super big, right? But I got done reading it. And I went, I didn't learn a damn thing. Like, just the way he presents information, it just leaves me, it leaves me with more questions than answers. And it doesn't really give me anything that I can hold on to. right? And some people... It commu- he communicates really well with, and maybe it's more of a high-level discussion than, than my brain's capable of understanding, which is fine. I'm, I'm very happy to, to be at a lower level. But when, when I do Jager stuff, it's logical to make sense. When I read through driveline stuff, it's logical to make sense. I get through Lance's stuff, and I'm just like, what the hell did I just read? Like, I, I, I read a bunch of questions in philosophy, and, and I just don't feel like I got any baseball knowledge. So like I said, if you're a coach and you're doing things and it just doesn't make sense to you, it may not be the right thing for you, right? But it's another part where we can be really complicated in the way we teach things, right? There's terminologies and I think the way it gets presented to coaches, we have to speak to coaches like they are five, six-year-olds, right? We've got to break it down super simple for them so that they understand what we're trying to do Instead, and this is my, my big gripe with the strength and conditioning industry. It's like, well, we're going to talk about these movement patterns or types, and, but we're going to use very technical medical jargon. Talk about sagittal planes and, you know, yeah. uh, like weird things. And I'm like, well, hold on. Let me get my phone out. Let me look up Google. What is a sagittal plane? Like, oh, why did he just say forward to backwards? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. Like, we can be very complicated in things that we talk about, right? Maybe it's a launch angle swing, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, maybe we should just tell you, hit the shit out of the ball. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. We could do that. You know what I mean? Like, so I think we can be so lost in what we're doing because we're in that world that we forget that, you know, Johnny All-Star's dad is not in that world and that if I overcomplicate things, he is just going to run the other way. But if I can keep it super simple, then he'll buy into it and then I can start to hit him with more of that advanced stuff. So it's almost like, you know, there's a book by Gary Vaynerchuk called Jab, 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 Right Hook, right? Where it was like trickle some information, get their attention, right? Once you've got their attention, boom, hit him with that like same thing with coaching, right? I'm going to give you a little bit, I'm going to give you a little bit, give you a little bit. Now you're in it. Great. Boom. Here's the rest. Right? So that's where I think where we lose coaches or we need to be better with coaches is going that route. I love that. I love that. And for anyone watching um, back home, if you're not too sure, he mentioned it earlier, where you can go to find this information. Fastcolorado.com. No www's. Just fastcolorado.com. Just type it in your search bar. You'll show up at the right place, I promise. We're not, we're not about W's, whether they're no. inverted or whatever it is. I mean, I like W's from a pitching standpoint, but win-loss record is way overrated. So, I mean, it is what it is. 
I think that'll be a great starting point for part two. We could talk about that. Oh, I'm, I'm learning a lot about it too. I'm reading the MVP machine right now, and it's like. And when I come out of the woodworks. Did you read that yet? No. You should, because the very beginning to talk about player development and some of its origins, you'd get a kick out of it. Really? Yeah, okay. because they talk about, I think it was, I have to go back and look, but I think it was Wrigley, the, like the owner of the Cubs. I think it was Wrigley. Maybe it was Kansas City Royals. Either way, this was back in like the 60s, 50s. They had player development. They were actually had sensors on a bat, and they were measuring attack angles, you know, swing, swing types and like recording all of this data. And then the next team or whatever, the next ownership group came in and goes, this is a whole bunch of garbage. And they literally destroyed everything. So everything that we think we're doing that's pioneering the game was done 60 years ago by Major League Baseball. And we have no record of it. It's incredible. You should, you should read the book. I'm not a reader, but shoot, I'm going to have to put on my I'm not either. I try and knock out like 10 pages a night before I go to bed. And, I mean, it's, it's easy to digest because it's in small chapters with small stories about certain individuals. It talks about Justin Turner and how he retooled his swing. Ooh. It talks about Trevor Bauer and how weird he is. Um, but it also talks about very non-traditional baseball guys making a massive impact in Major League Baseball. Guys who have no playing experience whatsoever beyond high school having a huge impact on the game right now i can't wait to get into it yeah i really can uh well for next time next time yeah um, tell you what we'll both read it and we'll we'll do a, a book report hey i'm not opposed to getting a book uh <coughs> book uh club together i'm not opposed to it I hate, at all. i'm not a big reader i'm sorry i don't want to admit it on camera but i'm not a big reader but i will read things that really interest me and this so far has got me captured I'll tell you what, I think I read one book throughout my academic <laughs> shout out to Spark Notes. Yes, I was going to say a lot of, a lot of cliff notes. I had cliff notes when I was in high school. Yeah, yeah, there you go. yeah. Jason, I was really good at bullshitting too. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Yep. Man. Thank you so much. Uh, for anyone back home, thank you guys for tuning in and uh, have a great rest of your Sunday. Stay tuned here in a little bit. Going to do a hit chat, chit chat. We have JP Fashone coming, Connor Burns, Stephen Packadern. Thank you guys for joining. Go to rbibaseballllc.com for all merch, blogs, and anything else RBI Baseball. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you.